This podcast is brought to you by BMJ Best Practice. BMJ Best Practice offers evidence-based, continually updated and practical knowledge that will help you make better clinical decisions. Hello and welcome to this BMJ Best Practice podcast on HIV and pregnancy. Kieran Walsh is my name. I'm clinical director at BMJ. HIV can affect pregnant women and pose a threat to their health, and it can also be transmitted to their baby and affect their health. But there are things that we can do to treat in the mother and prevent transmission to the infant. To tell us about these, we have on the line Professor Rachel Scott. Rachel is Scientific Director of Women's Health Research, MedStar Health Research Institute, and Assistant Professor of Obstetrics and Gynaecology, Georgetown University. And also, Rachel is author of the BMJ Best Practice topic on HIV and pregnancy. So Rachel, you're welcome. And I wonder, can you please start by telling us about HIV and pregnancy? What are the important messages that you would like to get across to healthcare professionals? So thank you so much. I would say that there are multiple messages to get across to providers, but two of the main messages I would share, the first being that women living with HIV, at least in the United States, have a very high history of trauma, that being domestic violence, sexual assault, history of emotional abuse. And this is one of the greatest risk factors for HIV acquisition in the United States among women. And as a result, these women are living with the behavioral health sequelae of trauma, that being PTSD, depression, anxiety, and substance abuse. And taking a patient-centered, trauma-informed approach to clinical practice is really critical to reaching these women in care, especially during pregnancy. They're an incredibly strong, incredibly resilient patient population, but they've been through so much, and it's really important to meet them halfway and where they're at in terms of antiretroviral therapy adherence, retention in care, and drawing them in and, and partnering with them in care. The second uh, message I would I would want to share with providers is that it's really important to get input from clinicians with topical expertise. You don't necessarily need to be an infectious disease specialist or a maternal fetal medicine specialist in order to care for these women during pregnancy, but you should be partnering with your specialists and reaching out to them to make sure that you have the most up-to-date information on antiretroviral therapy, et cetera. Additionally, there are great resources available online, such as the AIDS Info Perinatal Guidelines, and even actually by phone, the University of California, San Francisco, even has a 24-hour warm line where you can reach a provider with expertise on HIV and pregnancy at any hour. Okay, thank you very much. That's really very helpful. And to move from kind of that top line to diagnosis, can you tell us about recent advances in diagnosis? So we currently use the fourth generation HIV test, uh, which detects both the HIV-1 and HIV-2 antigens and antibodies and can detect HIV during a portion of the acute phase. It's up to 99% sensitive within 45 days of whenever the HIV acquisition would have been. And this is different than the third generation tests, which did not detect the antigens and could not detect HIV quite as early in the acute phase. There is also now an oral rapid HIV swab test available, at least in the United States, for home testing, which is an important option for individuals who may not otherwise seek out testing because of possible stigma. This said, I think the false positive rate is as high as 1 in 12, which is fairly high. So the fourth generation uh, test is obviously superior. So let's move on to 
management of HIV in the pregnant woman. Are, are there any recent advances in management? We have come so amazingly far, even in the 10 years that I've been caring for women living with HIV. That said, yes, there are some really exciting new drugs and drug delivery systems on the horizon, such as new integrase inhibitors. And in the next couple of years, antiretroviral therapy will likely be available through long-acting injections, implants, vaginal rings. It's challenging, however, because even if you have an exciting new drug or an exciting new medium for delivering the drug, the safety and efficacy data in pregnancy usually lags. And I guess this is my plug for including more women and pregnant women in appropriate phase three and phase four pharmacokinetic research, because that's really how we know that these drugs are safe and effective in this patient population. Okay, and let's delve into perinatal transmission, or generally transmission from mother to child. How is that best prevented? It's best prevented through antiretroviral therapy, started as early as possible in pregnancy and taken daily. There are really great options for antiretroviral therapy in pregnancy now that are much, much better tolerated than they used to be. Um, Adherence is still really a struggle because it's difficult for anyone to take a pill at the same time every day, much less someone um, who may have social and financial instability, which which are really big issues in in the population of women living with HIV, at least in the United States. Um, This said, women living with HIV during pregnancy do remarkably well with adherence and retention and care. Unfortunately, however, after delivery, without the same maternal motivation to protect their baby from perinatal transmission, and with the chaos of a new newborn and not getting much sleep, both antiretroviral therapy adherence and retention and care rapidly decline. And that's really what's dangerous is when women are lost to care, lost to follow up, not in care, not necessarily taking their medis- medications and not necessarily getting the contraception that they might want to prevent a, a subsequent pregnancy at that time. Okay, thank you. Well, I think we might have moved seamlessly on to pitfalls in in management. Are there other pitfalls in management besides the ones that you've mentioned? I think adherence is really the main struggle. That said, we do in some patients, especially moms who were perinatally acquired themselves, uh, there are issues with antiretroviral therapy resistance, um, but that's really the the minority of patients, we don't, adherence is really the biggest struggle during pregnancy, Um, especially in the beginning part of pregnancy where a lot of mothers experience nausea, vomiting, morning sickness, and taking a medication that may upset their stomach can be even more difficult. Um, But there are medications that we give, antiemetics that we give to help both keep the medications down and keeping them able to tolerate both both fluids and and solids so that they are, are feeling okay in the beginning part in the first trimester. Okay, and moving on to one specific drug, uh, which is dilutegravir, and and that's one of the reasons why we're um, I picked this topic because there was a recent alert on BMJ best practice, our clinical decision support tool, about uh, this drug. I, I wonder, could you tell us about the alert? Sure. Um, so that alert was based on a letter to the editor of the New England Journal of Medicine from Dr. Rebecca Zash that came out in, I believe, July of last year. And it was based on data from the Botswana Harvard AIDS Partnership, 
and it detailed a new safety signal on increased neural tube defects in women who were exposed to dolutegravir at time of conception. Um, and this data came from when Botswana replaced the favarins with dolutegravir as part of their national ART regimen, including during a pregnancy. And it was surprising, the safety signal was surprising because there really had been no prior safety signal in the two or three animal models that had been used to study dolutegravir in pregnancy and no safety signals in the previous literature, although a lot of that had been retrospective. And it was actually incredibly concerning and disappointing as dolutegravir is otherwise really well tolerated, especially compared to efavirenz. And it's very safe and it's a rather in inexpensive antiretroviral, which works really well to rapidly lower the viral load. Um, and so this rollout in Botswana had been really well anticipated. The patient population of, of people living with HIV in Botswana were very much excited about this rollout. And then to get this safety signal has been a real a real shock internationally. Um, there has been some new data that's come out since that initial letter to the editor, which has actually not added to these concerns about dolutegravir causing neural tube defects. And hopefully we'll have a better sense once we have more data. This said, at this point, we're still counseling women who wanna become pregnant or could become pregnant about the potential for neural tube defects. And not we do not recommend dolutegravir during the periconception period at this time. So that would mean from when a woman is trying to get pregnant until approximately six weeks into her pregnancy. Um, and that's that's really the, the timing that's most concerning for the closing of the neural tube. Okay, thank you very much. That's, that's very clear. Um, and moving on to the final question, which is about questions, really. What have we missed? What other common questions do you get asked about HIV in pregnancy? Sure, I guess it would depend who's asking the question. The, I see the two most common questions I get asked are about the prevention of perinatal transmission from mother to child and how common that is. And the good news is that in the United States and, and most of the developed world, transmission rates are really usually 1% to 2% or even lower. Um, and that's achieved, as we talked about, through antiretroviral therapy and prenatal care. And the other question I've been getting more recently is about pre-exposure prophylaxis or PrEP in pregnancy, um, which is a once-a-day pill uh, with tenofovir emtricitabine. And it is safe in pregnancy. It's the backbone of the NRTI medication that we use as part of antiretroviral therapy in women who are living with HIV during pregnancy. Um, and it's so far shown to be effective during pregnancy, although I would say that we know that tenofovirantracetabine or Truvada, the plasma levels are, are lower in women than they are in men at baseline. And we know that they'd be even lower in pregnancy due to changes in GFR and plasma and expansion of plasma volume. So women really do need to take the, the PrEP medication every single day in order to have it be effective, um, especially in the second and third trimester of pregnancy. Okay. And, and in, in what circumstances would PrEP be indicated in pregnant women or in women who were thinking about becoming pregnant? Sure, that's a really good question. So any woman that's at high risk for HIV um, or is or feels that she's at high risk for HIV would be a good candidate for PrEP in pregnancy. So this can either be women that are in a relationship with a partner who's living with HIV, um, a woman who's who has multiple sexual partners and is not using condoms in a high prevalence area, um, 
Obviously, we don't encourage IV drug use during pregnancy, but if there were a woman that was using intravenous drugs around the time of pregnancy or during pregnancy, we would definitely rec- uh, recommend PrEP. So really anyone that is, is at an elevated risk for, for HIV during pregnancy. Okay, great. And I guess this isn't related, directly related to pregnancy, but what about breastfeeding um, if the mother has HIV infection? What's the current advice? So that's a really controversial topic. Um, the recommendation in the United States is still for bottle feeding because of the potential transmission from mother to child through breast milk. Um, we know that without antiretroviral therapy, the risk of transmission, I believe, is up to around 15%. Um, but with continued adherence to antiretroviral therapy, we know that there's actually very little risk of transmission from mother to neonate through breast milk. And we know this through the research that's been done in um, many parts of the developing world. This said, although it's still not um, recommended in the United States and um, in many parts of the, the developed world, more and more women are choosing to breastfeed. And it's a question of making sure that mom is adherent to antiretroviral therapy, that there's no lesions or open cuts on the breasts, perhaps from irritation from breastfeeding, um, that baby is getting regular care with a pediatrician, and that mom is getting tested regularly for HIV. There are some pediatricians that are, are choosing to continue the neonatal prophylaxis in, because of the potential of mother-to-child transmission through the breast milk, but this has not been shown to be evidence-based at this time. Okay, thank you very much, Rachel, and thanks to you all for listening. We hope that this has been helpful, and we hope that you'll be able to put what you've learned into action to better diagnose and manage affected patients. If you want to find out more, click the link in the podcast to sign into BMJ Best Practice and look at the content on this and other relevant diseases. Thank you once again. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe and rate us on iTunes.